I'm Mike Green for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with David Schenker, who is the Director of Systems Design and Collaborative Research at the Stanford Lucille Packard Children's Hospital and founder and director of SURF, Stanford Medicine, where SURF stands for uh, Systems Utilization Research for Stanford Medicine. Uh, and David has, and his team have done a lot of work on trying to improve care in hospitals. Uh, so David, can you tell us about your work? Absolutely, yeah. So one of I did start out doing theoretical math and I um, got my PhD with the wonderful Jim Agler at UCSD, but then kind of made my way to this far, far more applied field. And I'll give one extended example, if you don't mind, that kind of illustrates the various things that go into hospital operations. So we do this incredible life-saving surgery on tiny little babies called pulmonary artery reconstruction or unifocalization. And it involves imaging, planning, manual dexterity and technology as sophisticated as anything that NASA does. But currently the operational tools around planning that procedure are decades old. They involve faxes, phone calls, paper-based scheduling tracking. And um, this is true overall in healthcare where it's kind of Star Trek technology and patient care delivered with not Star Trek level of operational tools. And so there's a ton of opportunity to use a variety of mathematical methods. So for this specific surgical procedure, months in advance, you get a request for surgery, which is gonna consume both operating room time and a surgeon's time, as well as after the surgery recovery time in the hospital. All of these resources are really limited. So right off the bat, you could potentially use machine learning models to try to generate estimates of how long the patient's actual surgical procedure will be and how many days they'll spend in the post-procedure ICU recovery. Then if you have estimates of surgical times from your machine learning models and post-op length of stays, then you can use integer programming or some other type of optimization to figure out what's the best day and time to fit that procedure in so that it doesn't result in a case running longer than usual and causing delays, and it doesn't result in there being too many beds in the ICU occupied so that other procedures have to be delayed or canceled as a result. Then closer to the day of surgery, you know, these procedures can be 12, 16 hours long. There is going to be a more patient-specific plan about what kind of opioids and other painkillers and anesthetics that the anesthesiologists will use. That's a place where you have the opportunity to use a variety of statistical methods and also machine learning to help anesthesiologists in general identify, are they using the appropriate amount of opioids? Are there opportunities to reduce variation or reduce the use of opioid in their practice? And then finally, as you get closer to the day of surgery and as after the patient has surgery, they go into the hospital, you have opportunities to track 
data from the patient's bedside waveform monitors, you know, their heart rate, their respiratory rate, and so on, to see if those monitors yield any indications that they might be at risk of some kind of clinical decline. You have the opportunity to think about how busy is the unit, how often is the patient being exposed to potentially higher risk interventions at the hospital, so that you should be on the lookout for if the patient is at high risk. And again, these are principled statistical models or machine learning models doing this. And then finally, more generally in the midst of this COVID pandemic, you don't just have the scheduled surgical and other patients usually see on the adult side and the children's side, you have to really worry about an influx of COVID-19 patients like we're experiencing now all over the country. And there you want to develop estimates of how many such patients you may have to accommodate so you can balance between making sure you have enough capacity so that COVID-19 patients can be cared for without canceling surgery unnecessarily far in advance or canceling more surgeries than you have to. And that again is a combination of all sorts of epi forecasting models, as well as some novel probabilistic forecasting models we developed to figure out what share of all of the patients in a region a given hospital should expect. So I know that's a ton, but you know, there's a lot of great opportunity in the field. And, and so now you've mentioned uh, like probability and statistics, you mentioned the optimization, the uh, uh, integer programming. Uh, are there any other areas of math that, that you use? Uh, yeah, so a lot of times we use optimization in combination with discrete event simulation, since any kind of stylized representation of the system is going to have results that don't capture all of the variability and unpredictability. So you want to simulate what could have happened had you used this different approach and get a better understanding of the costs and benefits of implementing it. And also uh, the previous applications of machine learning, for example, procedure duration or length of stay, call that traditional machine learning, you know, like a random forest ensemble tree models for interpreting high-density continuous data like physiological waveform signals, mm. we actually um, worked to develop some novel uh, deep learning model, uh, convolutional autoencoders. This was a really great work led by PhD student Daniel Miller. Uh, now, uh, when I, you know, you've, you've mentioned a lot of very technical things and I read about your work, you know, you collect a lot of data in order to, in order to you know, figure out better procedures, but you also, there's also a very human element. You work with the hospital staff to get, to, to find out, you know, you might say what's going on from their point of view. Yeah, I think there was this kind of initial huge enthusiasm for machine learning to solve all of the problems of healthcare. And it very quickly turned into lots of papers being written for great journals and very few models delivering any value or benefit in practice. And then there was this kind of backlash where physicians spend time getting new software, nurses are asking to enter more data, at being asked to click more things without any real benefits of their work or their problems with their patients. And so whenever we approach a project, it's nothing like, oh, we're going to take your data, do a bunch of math and come back with an answer. Uh, the students I work with, the other faculty I work with, we're all meeting weekly or bi-weekly with the actual hospital care providers 
who think this is a problem or who think this is an opportunity that our methods can help with. Mm -hmm. uh, and while you were saying that, I also remember that, um, you, you know, you think about a nurse or doctor's job, I, I, I assume that they're, they have the impression they're busy all the time. And so, you know, they, you know, they, in the normal circumstances, with COVID it's much worse, but in normal circumstances, you're thinking, no, we couldn't improve anything. You know, there's no way we could, like we might say, create more bed space, for example. But, but you were able to implement things that, that did make, uh, you know, things more efficient for them. And, and uh, people were happy about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the key is that, we always work on problems that are identified by the people that are delivering care. Mm. So somebody comes to us and says, look, I think it's possible to reduce the rate of hospital acquired infections, or I think it's possible to schedule our procedures in a way where we smooth demand out over a longer period of time. So we're not kind of idle at some points and then absolutely overwhelmed at others. And if you take that as your starting point, and then you really make a significant effort to understand exactly what the system and the constraints are, then you have a much better chance of building something that'll be useful. In contrast to, and there's a huge temptation to do this, you get a basic understanding, you get a little bit of data, and then you just wanna turn it into a toy problem that you can solve and do fancy math or fancy machine learning on and publish your paper, but that's the approach that's less likely to help the hospital. Mm -hmm. are, are there any one or two things you've done uh, or your team has done that you're really happy about or, or most gratifying? Yeah, there are several. Yeah. Uh, one is um, a central line associated bloodstream infection. It's called a CLABSI. And this is a problem for every hospital in the country. And we had this huge project where uh, the medical director of CERF, Andy Shin, and numerous other people at the hospital as this large institutional effort, identified hypotheses for how we could potentially reduce CLABSIs that boil down to better understanding of the data and better analytics than are currently available. Essentially, like you said, the nurses are busy, the doctors are busy. Uh, these patients in the ICUs, they have literally hundreds and hundreds of interactions that they require from the medical team. So amidst all of that complexity, identifying exactly who's at higher risk and identifying systematic opportunities to reduce that risk is incredibly challenging. So that's one of the things that we did a lot of work uh, with a lot of stakeholders all over the institution. The work was successful. Our CLABSI rates were reduced significantly afterwards, although our work was only one contribution to a much broader effort. And that's actually another really interesting mathematical challenge, uh, causal inference. In a system where there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of things changing simultaneously, is there any principled way to figure out how much what you did contributed as opposed to how much everything else led to the change? Uh, so that was a really gratifying change to actually see significant reductions in collapses. Uh, and, and so what are you working on now? So one of the things I work on, I have this fantastic partner, Dr. Fatima Rodriguez. She's a cardiologist. And uh, we work on health equity and disparities. Uh, disparities in the United States healthcare system are kind of a central feature, unfortunately. If someone um, 
has lower educational attainment, lower income, isn't white, isn't a primary English speaker, then there's overwhelming empirical data than on a wide variety of important clinical measures, they have less access to healthcare and worse outcomes. And of course, the huge disparities in mortality rates associated with COVID across different minority populations have really made this problem even more apparent to people who didn't know about it. So we're doing some really nice work to gather both understanding disparities, it's a group she leads that I help with, and figuring out both in the context of COVID and in broader context, how mathematics and analytics can either help identify places to improve or actually make improvements. Hmm. Very good. Yeah, that sounds, all of the stuff you're talking about sounds very interesting. I, are, is there anything you'd like to add? Anything we missed? Um, well, I think in this one specific, um, you know, time, like as COVID is resurging all over the country, uh, there's another really interesting project with a fantastic, actually, undergraduate student that's really doing great high-level work with um, building a probabilistic model that shows that if you have data from a variety of sources that your apps on your phone collect, then if you use that to get interactions between people, for example, when they take an Uber together or interact in some other capacity that is captured, you could think of that as a bunch of pseudo experiments. Because as well as COVID is understood clinically, the real world risk of infections when you interact with somebody, that's really poorly understood. That's really hard to measure. They're important questions for planning safe school reopening that don't have great clinical answers like, how likely is someone to get infected if they're in a room with someone else that's, you know, gotten the virus three days ago? And so uh, this is an exciting model that uh, Conrad Safranak and I are putting together to figure out, okay, with real world data, given all of the noise and uncertainty, can you still extract signal about real world probabilities of transmission dynamics? Well, it, it does sound interesting. Uh, so, so David, uh, thanks very much. That's uh, David Schenker, who is the founder and director of SERP, Stanford Medicine, Systems Utilization Research for Stanford Medicine. And you guys, uh, people can tell he's very busy. So we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, David. Good luck with all that work. It, sound, it sounds really interesting and, of course, extremely beneficial for people. Thanks. Thank you. And if, uh, you know, any of you young aspiring mathematicians or interested in jumping ship to the dark side of very applied math, uh, please send me an email. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, so, you know, the AMS kind of has a reputation as like a pure math society, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, we, I wouldn't call it the dark side. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I'm working for a children's hospital. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the dark side. Right, right. But so again, David, thanks very much uh, and good luck with everything. Thank you. Right.